This morning, we're um, starting our new series called The Marks of Jesus. And in the coming weeks, as we walk through Mark's gospel, we're going to be focusing on Jesus. We'll be considering what it means for us to imitate him. On each encounter with him as we work through this gospel, we're going to see something of God's heart which is going to inspire us as we seek to represent Jesus to the world that we live in. Now, we all love a good deal, don't we? We all love a good deal. But the key thing about a good deal is knowing that it's genuine. Years ago, I bought a Seiko watch in Crete. It was so much cheaper than you could buy in the UK. I thought I'd got such a good deal until about three weeks later when I got home. All the metal peeled off, and then underneath there was just this plastic thing underneath. How do you spot the genuine article? I've uh, got two rings on here. One is my wedding ring. I'm not inside to show that it's gold. It's got a hallmark inside. This second ring is something that I got when I was in the Ukraine in uh, a place called Sevastopol. It has no hallmark. I have no idea whether it's genuine or not. And for us to be the genuine article, to be effective as Christ's ambassadors, people around us need to be convinced that we really are what we say we are before they'll believe the gospel. You see, the first uh, uh, in Antioch, in uh, the early church, the Christians, uh, the, uh, the followers of Jesus were called Christians, Christ-like ones, because the people around saw something in them that reminded them of Jesus Christ. In fact, it was an insult, and the church were delighted with it. They were delighted to be associated with Jesus Christ and to be called Christians. And over this series, we're going to identify the marks of Jesus that should characterize our lives as we seek to be like him. The gospel simply means good news. Each of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, tell the same events, albeit from slightly different perspectives. But Mark's gospel stands out. Stands out because it's written for uh, unbelievers. It's written with those in mind. Commentators believe Mark recorded what the apostle Peter eyewitnessed. It's, it's a, like a roller coaster ride. As you read through Mark's gospel, it's a, have you ever been on a roller coaster and you get those moments, you get on and it's, everybody seems calm and then it cranks up and it goes up this uh, huge bit of rail and then you get to the top and you're thinking, ooh, this is, this is interesting, I wonder what this is going to be like. And then suddenly you go, whoa, and, and, and you, you have these moments where they take photographs and as you look at the photographs, people, people's expressions are, uh, are really interesting. There are some people that are like this. There are other people like this. Wow! has all sorts of reactions, and, and then the next minute you're, you're swinging down and you're swooping to the left, and then it's to the right, and, and then suddenly it stops or goes slow again, and then suddenly you're off again, and Mark's gospel is just 
like that. It's like a roller coaster ride. The three years Peter spent with Jesus, it's written for people with no Jewish background. And it contains no genealogy like Matthew. It's not intended to provide historical detail like Luke's gospel. And neither is it focused on an in-depth analysis of what Jesus taught as with John. The Greek word Mark uses most is translated at once. At once, immediately. It's all part of this roller coaster ride. And Mark's aim is to catch us up in what Jesus said and did. Because as far as Mark is concerned, the gospel is caught. It's something that you catch in the moment more than it being taught. Experiencing people's life-changing encounters with Jesus will stir us to believe that he can do the same for us and through us. And the more convinced we become, the more convincing we are. Come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did is still the most effective way of sharing the gospel. And Mark's Vivid, high-octane eyewitness account is intended to provoke a response. Phil Moore says this about Mark's gospel. Mark is inviting us to step in to the story. And the challenge this morning and of these coming weeks is will we do that? We're going to read a little bit of Mark's gospel. Just some extracts from... Chapter 1 and a few verses from the end of the gospel. This is what it says. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he, that's Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And then some verses just from the end of Mark's gospel. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. I don't know about if you've been following the news this week. The sports news. How many of you follow sports news? I follow the sports news. So, this week, 
They have announced the squad for the British and Irish Lions. It is the pinnacle of rugby players' career, a rugby player's career in Great Britain and Ireland. Being chosen to represent the Lions is all about, is a real privilege. And they've been chosen, uh, 40 or so players have been chosen from the, uh, uh, the countries, uh, uh, from England, Scotland, Wales and Ireland, been chosen to go on a tour to New Zealand. Now the Lions hardly ever win tours in New Zealand and they're, they're sending out a team and they're hoping and expecting great things from them. The last time we beat New Zealand in New Zealand was in the 70s. And so this is a big moment in rugby terms. And, and if you're a rugby player or you're interested in rugby, this is really exciting. If you are not interested in rugby, this is a switch-off moment. And so what you need to know is that I'm not going to be talking about rugby this morning. But it is being chosen to play for the Lions is the pinnacle of a career. It's all about position and the position they play, the position they play out of. It's about uh, their strength and their power because they're going to be facing a very physical side. And it's all about how they play the game, their performance. And I felt as I was preparing uh, uh, for this week, I I felt God nudge me. You see, I felt what God was saying is that he has called us to represent Jesus, his son, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Mark's gospel is represented in apocalyptic literature, is symbolized by a lion. God is calling us to step into the story of representing his son. He wants to remind us of the privilege. He wants us to know our position in him. He wants us to know the power that's at our disposal so that we can play our part in representing the lion. And the first thing I want us to focus on this morning is this, is the privilege. So what does it say in verse 1? The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is the greatest privilege on earth to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It is the greatest privilege. In the late 80s, when I moved down from South Wales and moved to Hedge End... The church in Hedge End was 60, 70 people at the time. And uh, over the following years, uh, I became one of the leaders there, became an elder, uh, joined staff, was part of the staff there for 20, uh, for getting on for, I was there for about 20 years, through to about 2009. And during that period, the church grew from 70 or so people, grew to way over 450 now it's continued to grow. It's gathered. I tell you, that was, the, that was a great privilege. It was such a privilege to be part of a church that year on year grew and grew and changed. And we built buildings and we saw people saved. There was, it was an incredible time. But I want to tell you, the privilege of that is nothing compared to the privilege of belonging and representing Jesus Christ. The word gospel was part of everyday Greek life. And yet when they used it in everyday Greek, it was always in the plural. It was always good news, plural. In the Bible, good news is always singular. Why? 
There is only one bit of good news that's worth talking about. And Mark tells us it had a beginning. There was a time when the good news about Jesus hadn't begun, even though God was planning it. There was a kairos moment, an appointed moment, where God broke into human history. Jesus Christ became a man. God sent his son into our sin-sick world. And it's as though Mark is reminding us of a new genesis. He's reminding us of the beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. So Mark is saying the beginning of the gospel. This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. At just the right time, Jesus breaks into world history. And from the outset, we're being told the gospel hangs not on facts. It hangs on a person. We must never get so wrapped up in the work that we lose sight of the one we're doing it for. Mark reminds us it's about Jesus. The gospel about Jesus. Jesus, the word Jesus, the name Jesus reminds us of his humanity. He was completely human. He understands us. He understands what you're going through. He knows if you're facing the buffers at this moment in time. He knows what it feels like. If you feel like situations are frozen for you, he knows and understands. He was a man just like us in every way, and yet he didn't sin. Jesus never gave in to temptation. Whatever we're facing, he understands. His name reminds us of his humanity, but it also reminds us of his mission. Jesus, he was called Jesus. He was, the angel said you're to call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus is the Greek form of Joshua. The Lord saves. We need saving. We need saving. We have been saved, the Bible tells us. We are being saved and we will one day be finally saved when Jesus returns. You see, the gospel's not about strategy. It's not not that God's against strategy, but the gospel's not about strategy. The gospel is not about an idea or a concept. The gospel is not about us. The gospel is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And that's why the writer of Hebrews tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus, the gospel about Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ is not a surname. It's not that Mark is writing it because we might get confused about which Jesus we're talking about. Oh, Jesus Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, right, okay, I know that family they live in. No, it's not like that at all. Jesus Christ. Christ means Messiah. Jesus, the anointed one, the one who would right all wrongs, the one who God sent to sort out this world. And on starting his public ministry, Jesus quotes Isaiah 61 verse 1, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. And he told the people listening, that scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He was saying, I am here. God gave him authority and power to do good and to destroy the works of the evil one. This place this morning is full of people who've had their lives transformed. 
lives transformed by the gospel, by the good news about Jesus Christ, the anointed one. Only Jesus can change lives. The bank may change your circumstances, but the gospel will change your life. Hallelujah. He was the Son of God. Mark reminds us of Jesus' deity. God became man. God with us. Jesus was with God in the beginning. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, and eternal. There is no one like him. And it's the greatest privilege to represent him. Some of you will immediately be thinking, well, I'm not good enough. It's just for special people. People chosen by God because of their remarkable charisma, their capacity, their character. But at the outset of this series, God wants you to know that nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. Mark's eyewitness was Peter. Peter kept putting his foot in it. Glorious successes were followed often by dismal failures. Peter's passion hid an overconfidence in his own capabilities, which was his undoing. And Mark brutally exposes Peter's failings. And yet he can only do it because Peter told him. How else could Mark know what Jesus said privately to Peter? We read that in John 21. And if God can use Peter, the point is this, he can use any of us. Peter wants us to know that if God can use him, he can use you. Similarly, Mark had been part of Paul's first missionary trip. John Mark had been part of that trip. But he bailed. They just started and he bails and he goes home. He can't stick the pace. And Paul was so disappointed, he refused to take him on his next trip because he wasn't sure he could rely on him. And Paul and Barnabas seriously fall out over the decision. And yet this gospel is clear evidence that God hadn't disqualified Mark. This is the amazing grace of God. Be encouraged. None of us are excluded. And if you've never done it today, you can step into the story. It's a privilege. I want to talk a bit about position. You see, when Jesus is being baptized, he's setting us an example. As the gospel begins, heaven is torn open. Jesus submits himself to the Father's plan of redemption. And as he does, heaven responds. God affirms his son. And a voice speaks from heaven. I love him and I'm pleased with him. The Holy Spirit comes on Jesus to empower him for the task that lies ahead. Why is that so significant for us? Well, you see, there's a difference when we feel secure, when we know we're secure in our position. I used to work as a a planning consultant many, many years ago, and when I started, I knew nothing. By the end, I knew slightly more, 
But at the beginning, I knew absolutely nothing. And they gave me a really nice car, and I would turn up and give people advice with a, uh, I wear a suit, nice car, pull up, and they're expecting quality advice. They don't know I know nothing. I know nothing. Knew nothing. And so I would go back to the office, and the boss, who was a brilliant planner, he would sit me down and say, what did you say to the client? And in the early weeks, he'd be like this. There would be moments he'd be like this. You said, what? Really? How could you? And, and so I was really insecure when I went out. But there came a moment where he said to me, he said, I want to make you an associate. And so the headed paper went out and it had his name and then underneath it had associate. My name was on the paper. He had confidence in me. I tell you, that made a difference. I knew slightly more by then, but I still didn't know a great deal. But I went with confidence and I I made less stupid, uh, gave less stupid advice. Yeah, no problem. I'll get you planning permission for that. No problem. And I come back and at the beginning, the boss would go, you said, what? Really? Oh. And God was gracious to me because he helped me out in those moments. But later I went and my advice was so much better because I was secure. I was confident. Jesus needed his father's affirmation and the spirit's anointing to bring the gospel to completion. As his representatives, we too need these seals. Jesus never intended for us to represent him off our own bat. When he'd gone back to heaven, his disciples went out proclaiming the gospel. And Mark says, I don't know if you heard that when I read it, the Lord worked with them. He doesn't leave us alone. We are co-heirs with Christ, Romans chapter 8 tells us. And we have a partnership in the gospel. And that's why we need to know our position. What do I mean? We need to know where we are seated You see, if heaven is open above us, if the heavens have been torn open for Christ, it means that our voice and our prayers can now be heard in heaven. And yet it's much more significant than that. It's far more profound. We are now inextricably linked with Jesus Christ. Paul explains it like this, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Dave Smith, uh, in his book, talks about, uses the analogy of an aeroplane. When we're in an aeroplane, suddenly we're high, thousands of feet above the earth. We have a new perspective, but we're there not by our own. We are there in the plane. He's saying, when Paul uh, says that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, is that we have a new perspective. We are seated with him. It's like being in a plane at 20,000 feet. We're not there by our own abilities. We're in him. And because Christ has authority in heaven, he's seated at the Father's right hand. We have authority because he has authority. And that changes everything about how we pray for people, how we speak how we declare the truth about the gospel, we have authority because he is seated at the right hand of the Father. We need to know that it's true, whatever we feel like. Do you know who you are in Christ? If you don't, let me encourage you, do freedom in Christ. Find out who you are in Christ, where you're seated. You see, 
We have the Father's approval. We are sons of God because we are all in the Son. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and we are in the Son, so we're all sons of God, whatever our gender. God loves us and is pleased with us. It's not based on our performance, it's based on his performance. Jesus said no one could come to the Father except through him. And God promises to be a father to us. He's a father to the fatherless, the psalmist says. Romans chapter 8 verse 15 says, We didn't receive a spirit that makes us a slave again to fear, but we received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. God loves us so much, he, he disciplines us. He doesn't want us to be left in the state we're in. He wants us to become more like his son. God always speaks well of us. He always speaks well of you. When God speaks about Job in the Old Testament, he says, is there anybody like my boy Job? That's how he spoke about Jesus. This is my son, my beloved son. When he speaks of you, whatever you've been like, however you've performed this week, however you've done, he speaks about you in the same way because you are in Christ. That's amazing. What a position to be in. What a difference that makes. He is fiercely defensive of those he loves. Thirdly, I want to talk about power. We've had um, uh, uh, an interesting situation over the last couple of days. And to be honest, it's been brewing for a few years. We bought a car about two and a half years ago. We bought a Fiat 500. Casanova Blue. It's a shocker, I know. Um, Don't like to drive it um, for that reason, uh, but sometimes I have to. But uh, basically what's happened is since we bought it, there has been a problem. There is something wrong with a car that keeps draining the battery. And so every now and again, over the last couple of years, I have to uh, get the jump leads out and uh, jump the battery from my car. And uh, it's a real pain. So sometimes it just won't start. And recently, it's been absolutely flat as a pancake. Yesterday uh, morning, I could not get the car to eat. I couldn't even jump it. It was so flat. The battery was shot. And I had to go and get a new battery. And uh, I changed the battery. And at the end of it, uh, Annie said, I'm so proud of you. She said, I'm so proud. She's so proud of me because she thinks it's a little beyond my ability to actually, to actually go like this and like that. This is too hard for me. But I did it. Result. Change the battery. Result. And it worked. It didn't blow the car up. You see, there's nothing worse than when we look the part but have no power. You see, the gospel comes with a promise of power. Paul's prayer for us as followers of Jesus is that we know this incomparably great power for us who believe. God wants to strengthen us with power through his spirit in our inner being. Paul explains to the Corinthian believers that we have this power in jars of clay. Our bodies are like jars of clay. This power is contained within weak and frail bodies. And so... 
We need to, uh, that's important because the world needs to know that it's about him and not about us. It's not about our cleverness. It's not that we have ability. It's about his ability in us. And so God loves to fill us with his spirit, promises to fill us with his spirit. And before anything, we do anything for him, we need to be filled with the spirit. Before the day of Pentecost, the disciples stayed behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. They believed that Jesus was risen from the dead, but they were running scared. And there came a day when God filled them with his spirit and everything changed. They were bold as lions. Bold as lions. Suddenly they represented the lion and they weren't afraid. And, they made all the, and it made all the difference. Jesus may be back in heaven with his father, but the mission is not finished. We are his representatives. Are we filled with the Spirit? Or are we like that Fiat 500, that car battery? There's something happening. There's a little drain on the battery. Something that's draining power from the battery all the time, and so it goes flat after a while. Is that you? Do you feel like that? Feel like suddenly there's moments where you just, you just can't, you can't even turn the engine over. Lose any sense of power. Any sense of God's presence. It's been a drain on the battery and you don't know where it is. You come to church and you, it's like the jump leads go on. And suddenly you're up and running again and then by Monday it's flat again. Is that what it feels like? God does not want it to be like that for you. He does not want it to be like that for you. There are all sorts of things that can be little drains on a battery. The human heart. Unforgiveness. Pride. Thinking it's about us. It's not about us, it's about him. Our privilege is to be his representatives. All sorts of things that drain power of this battery, bitterness, our heart attitudes. God doesn't want it to be like this. He wants us to be those who are filled with his spirit. Doesn't want to have to jump start us on a Sunday. He wants us to come in on a Sunday morning ready to go. Can't wait to get into the presence of God to worship. The worship leader doesn't have to, in fact, the worship leader is a bit, it's not needed because actually the worship leader gets up and we're already worshipping. That's how it should be. You know, we want to be a people like that and I want to encourage us, come on, let's be people who are filled with the Spirit. You see, we need him with us. If God is with us, who can be against us? He always knows what to do, we just need to listen to him. At the moment, there are, God is working amongst us in so many ways. God is doing so many things amongst us, so many exciting things. We need to be those who are filled with the Spirit as he is working, whether it be in the ark, in uh, 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 CAP, Christians Against Poverty, with our youth work, whatever it is, God wants us to be those filled with the Spirit. Finally, it's about playing our part. Paul says to the Corinthians, who are pretty messed up, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. 
To the Ephesian believers, Paul encouraged them to live a life of love just as Christ loved us. We have a part to play. We look to Christ. We follow him. We represent him. We always point the way to him and not to ourselves. How many of you have heard of Barry John? few of you. Most of you will not have heard of Barry John. Barry John was a rugby player. He was the Welsh outside half. He played for Wales through the late 60s and early 70s. He retired at 27 years old. He was playing outside half for, uh, for the British Lions in the last tour of New, that tour of New Zealand that they won. They won the series 2-1 and he was the outside half. And the New Zealanders, not, not the British press, the New Zealand press and the New Zealanders called him King John. He was so good. He was an outstanding rugby player and yet he retired at 27 and he retired and this is the story. He was, uh, he was representing a, I think it was a representing a bank or a financial institution. He used to travel across Wales because he was an amateur at the time. And he went into a bank, and when he went in, the girl uh, who was uh, meeting him curtsied. And at that moment, he decided that's it. And he stopped playing rugby. Never, never played first-class rugby after that. He stopped. He just said, I'm retiring. Shock to everybody. He stopped because it wasn't about him. It suddenly, it had all become about him. And if we're going to play our part, we need to know it's not about us. It's about Jesus Christ. If no one remembers us but Jesus is worshipped, we've played our part. If we get grumpy because we've forgotten, then there's something deeply wrong. It's always about him. Listen to how Paul sums it up. He says that some preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. What an attitude. We're enjoying exciting days, and we need to play our part. We've had a prophetic word last year about the tide was going to come in and it was going to start to rise amongst us. There'd be moments we'd look and we'd suddenly see the tide has come in. in the, it's like a creek and suddenly the, 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 the water's come in. It's around our ankles and we go, where did that come from? And we've been seeing something of what God's been doing this year. Some really exciting stuff, some great baptisms, some great stories. God working in remarkable ways. But when the tide comes in and it comes into the creek, actually what happens is this. It starts to lift stuff that's been on the bottom. It brings stuff to the surface that no one would ever have known. And this is a season where it's about we need to watch out for our attitudes and our responses. Let me explain. You see, the results are down to him and not us. We simply make it our goal to please him. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. 
We need to never forget it's about grace. It's not about our efforts. And when the tide comes in, there's an ebb and a flow. So when a tide comes in, it comes in and then it goes back and then it comes in and like a wave of the seashore comes in, goes back a bit, then it comes in a bit further. There are moments like that. And so if there aren't so many people on Alpha... It doesn't, that, that isn't a sign that we're doing something, that's not a sign of failure. Sometimes it's a sign that the tide is just, uh, is doing that. I tell you, if there are two or three people on Alpha and they get saved and they get baptized, praise God. Amen. Praise God. We had the compassion launch. On that Sunday I looked up and there were, I'd, I'd it was the first Sunday of the Easter holidays, and there were so many people away. In that moment, in my heart, I thought, oh, no, that's a pity. I want to tell you, I had to rebuke myself because what a great response. I can lose sight of what God's doing because we're looking at the wrong things. Results are down to him and not us. We also need to be obedient. Jesus was obedient to God and was led by the Spirit. We're told in verse 12 of chapter 1 of Mark that the Spirit sent him out into the desert. The Spirit sent him into the desert? That's not success. That's not, what's he doing in the desert? He should be where people are. He's just been filled with the Spirit. The Spirit's come on him, anointed him. Surely, Surely he should be going into Jerusalem or Capernaum or... No, no, the Spirit sends him into the desert. What sort of success is that? Jesus was obedient and was led by the Spirit. You see, God's measure of success is our faithfulness, not the results. I'll tell you, when when John Richardson was baptized, I was so excited. It's just his response. Obedience. Just did it. Being a follower of Jesus for many years, but not being baptized. And in the moment he got baptized, he just, yeah, I'm going to do it. Great. I just thought, obedience. God loves obedience. We need to also focus on executing the game plan. You see, when they, uh, uh, the, the, the Lions go out to New Zealand, they're gonna, there's a game plan. They'll be playing against so there'll be a game plan. The coach will say, this is the plan. Each player, play out of your position and stick to the plan. There is a plan. God has a plan. God has a strategy. We don't need to make up the plan. I loved hearing Phil Moore at West Point a few years ago when he said, people were uh, saying to me in the church, they were saying, what's your vision, Phil? What's your vision? What's your vision? And he, was, he said, I was thinking... It's, what, what are we talking about? It's obvious, isn't it? Isn't it obvious what we're about? And they kept saying, what's your vision? And he said, one day, he said, I just stood in front of the church and I said this. I said, look, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to ask you to follow me as I follow him. Will that do? And the church went, yeah, we'll do that. The game plan is follow Christ. Be the best you can be for him. Love him with all your heart, your soul, your mind and your strength. Focus on executing the game plan. You see, the gospel has a beginning. But I want to tell you, it has, doesn't have an end until Christ returns. 
The doors of heaven are open for all who respond. And today, if you've not responded to Christ, you can step into this story. You can step into this roller coaster, this adventure of a lifetime. I tell you, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. I tell you, it's not about money. It's not about success. But I tell you, it's been the joy of my life to follow him. And I say, if you've never given your life to Christ, do it today. Step into his story. It's the greatest privilege of representing the lion, representing Christ. There is nothing better. Are you playing out of your position? Are you playing out of who you are in Christ? Or are you not sure? Are you struggling? Lacking in confidence? God wants you to keep your eyes fixed on Christ. Know who you are in him. If you need, maybe you need to do freedom in Christ. If you do, go and speak to someone at the connect point. If you know that you need to get that established in you, that you are a child of God, you're a son of God, are you full of the Spirit? I feel probably lots of us here, uh, we've, there's drains on our batteries. And we know it. When I said... We come to church on a Sunday for our shot and we leave, we feel great, but by Monday we're struggling again. I want to say it's probably a drain on the battery. It's a good sign. And God wants to say to you, he doesn't want it to be like that for you. He wants you to be full of the Spirit. We'd love to pray for you at the end if you need to respond to that. You see, we need to play our part. God's challenge to us, will we step in to the story.